0: That's noom.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller joined by John Kuh. Hunter Green is getting us excited at the end of the year yet again. Ronald Acuna Jr. is nearing an unbelievable stat line. Corbin Carroll made rookie history and the regular season is coming to an end which means... The fantasy season is also coming to an end. This, I think, is our penultimate podcast. We have one more after this one I think we'll be doing to cover up the final week as well as the MVPs of the fantasy season, talk about players that we didn't talk about too much that maybe were unsung heroes, just an overall recap of fantasy. But before we get into this episode, John, how's everything going with you?
1: Good. I've uh, been back from basically a week and a half long vacation from baseball and life in general. So, uh yeah, trying to catch up on some some stuff in the fantasy baseball world. Obviously, I've been tracking my Twins at least because, you know, they've been in the uh playoff race and their magic number is down to one to clinching the AL Central. So that's fun for us, but um yeah, it's been it's been a while checking in on fantasy baseball. I, my my home league playoffs finished Uh, basically two weeks ago and uh, didn't make the playoffs or, you know, didn't make the championship in any any of my other leagues. So um, yeah, it's been kind of a quiet uh, couple of weeks for, for fantasy baseball for me at least.
2: Yeah. I feel like when the end of the fantasy season comes for your league, you kind of just tune out. And I think everyone is just required to go on vacation after such a long season, right? Like you have to take a little bit of a break
1: yeah i think the, like the one league that's still going on for me right now it's tgfpi and it's like well you know like some of the important players on my team are hurt so there's not really much i can do uh to, to adjust my roster at this point i not like you know making one fab bid is not going to make or break this season for me anymore in, in that league
2: yeah i currently have all of my leagues going on right now i have my home league, which I am in the championship, thankfully, fingers are crossed. I have a little bit of a lead right now and I'm hoping it holds. It's a really weird fantasy week, too. There's going to be a bad weather storm this upcoming weekend with the Northeast side of the world. And then there's also just everyone underperforming there's a lot of mystery going on right now this week but i have the lead in my home league so i'm hoping that stands it'll be my second time winning if i do end up winning and i will be very happy about that then i have tgfbi like you which i'm already out of fab money so i really just have to set my lineup and hope for the best and same with my other nfbc league which is a big money league I just have to set my lineup because I'm out of FAB budget. So it's hard to manage all of that when you're out of FAB money, when you're in the championship. You just have to make the moves and then cross your fingers because that's all you can really do. It's all you can do. You just have to set it and forget it and hope for the best, right?
1: Yeah, that's kind of the, the nice thing about weekly leagues, but also maybe the little bit of the bane of, of weekly leagues where you, know, you kind of realize, well, this is it. You know, it can yeah, yeah, realistic.
2: yeah. No, without a doubt. I mean, that's why I personally enjoy daily leagues rather than weekly leagues because you set your lineup, and that's also why I don't really like roto leagues that much. I do like roto. I love baseball in general, so just playing any sort of fantasy is fun. But roto, I'm not as into it because you just set your lineup, and if it's a weekly league. You don't really do anything. You don't manage besides figuring out on Sunday who you want to spend your fab money on and then what your lineup is going to be, because besides that, you can't do anything else. So
1: Right. You're like, oh, my team's down 30 strikeouts. Oh, there's nothing I can do. to Yeah, you know, cool. Like, you know, <laughs> <get me up." laughs>
2: yeah, right. Exactly. There's nothing really that you can do to change it. So I do like daily leagues. I like head to head leagues just because it's more, I guess, competitive in the sense of you're always interested so that's a whole different debate head-to-head versus Roto but I'm excited because I could potentially win a championship I could win some good money I could place decent in TGFBI so a lot of good things going on I'm hoping that this weekend is kind to me cross your fingers for me I hope all of you if your leagues are still going that you are also winning as well but before we get into the rest of this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter or X at This ThisWeekPL and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. If we helped you in the slightest, if we recommended a player, a streamer, if we told you about something that unlocked a different piece of information for you, let us know. We would love to hear from you. Email us, send us a tweet let us know that we helped you because that's what we're doing it for. So hopefully we helped some of you out there. And lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, we're on all of them. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. Now, moving on to MLB news since the last podcast, we start with actually the same name, as we started the last podcast, because it's the same player. Shohei Otani of the Angels underwent surgery on his right elbow on Tuesday. The surgery took place in Los Angeles, and it isn't quite clear what surgery he had. Otani's agent said that his procedure reinforced the healthy ligament in place while adding viable tissue for the longevity of the elbow. So ultimately an alternative to Tommy John surgery, I'm guessing. It's been confirmed that Otani plans to hit in twenty twenty four, but doesn't plan to pitch until twenty twenty five. And John, what do you think that does for the contract he's going to get? Do you think he's still going to get five hundred million dollars? Do you think there's going to be some sort of clause in there? We've talked about this before, but what do you think Otani has in his future in terms of a contract and what team he might land on? Do you have any bold prediction?
1: Ooh, uh I mean the 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 smart money pick right now seems to be that Seattle's gonna sign him. Okay. Um just because, you know, he stays on the West Coast and Seattle obviously is, you know, really big Japanese population plus, you know, Ichiro yep. being there. But, I yeah, I don't know. I, I still think ultimately he's going to get a deal in the, in the $500 million range, um, especially since he's playing a pitch. I wouldn't be surprised if a team, like, you know, set up some sort of um, incentives in the deal where, you know, he makes more money if he pitches as opposed to just being a DH Um yeah, there's some really interesting things there. Um, I think it would be really fun if he stayed with the Angels only because, you know, maybe they get a running back with Mike Trout and Shohei, but that organization is just managed so poorly that I'd, I'd rather see him go somewhere else.
2: It's really, really rough because even the Angels came out and said, we're willing to trade Mike Trout if he wants to be traded. And that's a crazy statement to me like Mm -hmm. they are clearly just tearing this down they are not trying for anything so i would doubt that otani goes back to the angels my bold prediction i have two one's a homer pick obviously and the other one is what i likely think is going to happen i think he's going to go to the dodgers i can just Mm -hmm. see it now like they're going to get rid of jd martinez most likely he signed a one-year deal with the dodgers and it's up after this he's 36 years old he was a great DH for them, but they're going to have a DH availability there, so Otani could just DH the whole season next year. He loves Los Angeles. Then once he's able to pitch, then he pitches. So I think the Dodgers is a ridiculously good fit, but I think the outside source could be the Mets. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Mets fan. I would love to see Otani on the Mets, but it's because we have money. We have lots and lots of money. So If Otani wants the most money and doesn't mind playing not in Los Angeles, then I think the Mets have to be in the discussion because I think they are truthfully a team that could get him. But I also think that he's going to get somewhere in the range of 500, whether it's back loaded because the front loaded might not contain the pitching or I'm not really sure how it's going to be structured, but I can see him getting 400 to 500 million with ease. Next, we have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays, who was scratched from Wednesday's game against the Yankees due to right knee soreness. He underwent an MRI, and the results aren't known at the time of recording this episode, but on Thursday against the Yankees, in the top of the ninth with the bases loaded, Vlad Jr. did pinch hit, so I think he's going to be okay, but definitely wait for the results of that MRI. You say Kikuchi of the Blue Jays was removed from his start against the Yankees in the sixth inning on Tuesday due to a left upper trap muscle cramp, which is his neck, if you don't know what the left upper trap is. He should be okay to make his next scheduled start on Sunday against the Rays, but keep an eye on his status. John, did you hear the reason why Kikuchi thinks he had a neck cramp? No, I did not. <laughs> so it was reported that Kikuchi believes that this cramp was a result of only getting 11 hours of sleep. Instead of oh, his normal 13 to
1: 14 hours of sleep. That's right. I do remember. I Yeah, I thought that was ridiculous. What is um, that? <laughs> I can barely get seven. I know. And, like, <laughs> and like, somehow this man, this man thinks that 11 is not enough.
2: <laughs> that's just insane. He was upset that he didn't sleep half the day. He slept only 11 hours of the day. Like, that's... <laughs> Unbelievable. But hey, man, if that's what you do to get in the routine for pitching and I mean, there's worse things, right? Like, (laughs) oh, for sure. Yeah, that's crazy. So Kikuchi, I really hope because I did stream you for a two start week. I hope you make your start on Sunday and I hope you got 16 hours of sleep before your start. (laughs) I hope I hope you slept for 24 hours and were able to be fully rested. So I hope that neck cramp goes away. But yeah, that was the strangest thing I read all week by far that he was mad that he didn't get 13 to 14 hours of sleep. He only got 11. That's just bonkers. Next, we have Eduardo Rodriguez of the Tigers, who was removed from his start against the Dodgers in the fourth inning on Monday due to back spasms. He should be able to make his next start this weekend against the Athletics. Riley Green of the Tigers underwent Tommy John surgery on Wednesday, September 20th. The surgery was to repair his injured right elbow which is his non-throwing elbow because green bats and throws left-handed he's expected to be ready for the start of next season tristan casas of the red sox was placed on the 10-day il on saturday september 16th with right shoulder inflammation according to alex spire of the boston globe casas is unlikely to be activated before the end of the season so this was the end of his rookie season 24 homers had a pretty successful year but We could see him take another step if he's healthy next season sandy alcantara of the marlins is scheduled to make a rehab start on thursday with triple a jacksonville if that outing goes smoothly alcantara can make it back for one final regular season start it would most likely come against the mets on the road and could be a big one as the marlins try to sneak into the postseason Alcantara has been out with a right UCL sprain. I believe he went four innings in his rehab start. I think he threw 50 pitches and he performed pretty well. So Sandy is on track to make it back to the bigs for one more start this season. Jake Berger of the Marlins left Wednesday's game against the Mets due to right quad tightness. He's considered day-to-day for now. Brandon Crawford of the Giants was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday, September 21st with a right hamstring strain. This could possibly be end Crawford's journey with the Giants after playing 13 seasons with the team since he's a free agent at the end of the season it's pretty crazy to think that Brandon Crawford is not the starting shortstop of the Giants next season do you think they sign him back on maybe like a one year deal and try to send him off properly or do you think he's still got more in the tank and another team will scoop him up what do you think about Brandon Crawford
1: I think it makes sense for the Giants to sign him to a one-year deal yeah um i they i mean they do have some young guys coming up in in the farm system but no one that's like immediately ready to slot into that shortstop uh position and i i could see him i mean i think he's also from the bay area so you know for him the idea of like maybe moving somewhere else just to play one more year if the giants are offering you know a one-year contract to him I, i think he'd probably rather stay in san francisco than move somewhere else
2: I agree with that. I don't know how old Brandon Crawford is, but I think the Giants should give him like a really small contract. I'm sure he would sign it if he wanted to just finish out his career with the Giants. Mm -hmm. So I could see them doing that and him just being a backup shortstop or being some part of the system in some sort of way. So I think Crawford on the Giants is just the right fit, but I could see him going elsewhere. It depends how much he has left in the tank. So Mm -hmm. we'll see about Brandon Crawford this upcoming season. Joe Musgrove of the Padres will not pitch again in 2023. He's officially been shut down for the season. Hassan Kim of the Padres has missed four straight games due to abdominal soreness. He's considered day-to-day for now. Salvador Perez of the Royals was placed on the seven-day concussion IL on Monday, September 18th. Wilson Contreras of the Cardinals was sent for an MRI on his injured left wrist. He's been bothered by wrist discomfort for a while and felt acute pain on a swing during Wednesday's game. Wilson Contreras could be shut down early due to this issue and the Cardinals being eliminated from the postseason. Royce Lewis of the Twins will have an MRI when the Twins return home for the weekend series against the Angels. He left Tuesday's game early due to hamstring tightness. Depending on what the MRI says, this could be the end of regular season play for Lewis, who had an unbelievable September. I mean, I was facing him in the semifinals of my home league, and it was not fun. He had three homers, nine RBI. He was an animal, so... Thank God Royce Lewis is not facing me anymore, and I hope that he's okay and can play for your Twins in the postseason. Another person from the Twins, Carlos Correa, was placed on the 10-day IL on Wednesday, September 20th, due to plantar fasciitis. He's expected to return when first eligible on September 29th in Coors Field. But John, these two Twins injuries, I mean, I feel like Correa is always hurt. Buxton, someone that's frequently hurt. Royce Lewis is frequently hurt. What do you think about all of this for the Twins?
1: Uh, I mean, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, of course but it, it, it comes at kind of an okay time. Like I mentioned, the magic number is one, there's still, you know, two weeks left in the season. Um, you know, in terms of timing, it's not great, but Korea is probably going to be back by the time the playoffs start Royce. If it's not a big injury issue, he could be back in time as well. But yeah, uh, initially was like knock on wood everyone's healthy and then uh well you know just classic baseball it, it's obviously not just the twins everyone's really dealing with injuries and you know the strain of a 162 game season but um yeah it couldn't come at a worse time i guess for the twins but at least they have it, it didn't come like right before the playoffs they still have some time to rest and recuperate before the real games start.
2: Yeah, that's the only positive I can think of is that it happened right now as opposed to in one week because in one week, then it's potentially danger for the postseason. But... Right now, you know if Royce Lewis is okay, he can potentially play. Carlos Correa seems to be coming back when first eligible, so I think the Twins will be okay. I'm rooting for him. Obviously, my Mets aren't in it, and you're a Twins fan, so of course I'm going to root for the team of my podcast co-host, and hopefully they do well. I mean, I really like the Diamondbacks. If they make the playoffs, I'm going to be rooting for them. I'm going to be rooting for mm-hmm. the Twins. There's a lot of teams I like that are potentially going to be in the postseason, so it's going to be for exciting sure. for sure, yeah. Christian Yelich of the Brewers has missed six straight games due to lingering back discomfort. Yelich has only played in one game since September 8th, which is just insane. The Brewers are refraining from placing him on the 10-day IL with only 10 games left in the regular season. Tanner Bybee of the Guardians was placed on the 15-day IL on Monday, September 18th with right hip inflammation. Bybee suffered this injury during his most recent start against the Rangers and will be shut down for the rest of the season. He had an insanely impressive rookie showing, putting up an ERA of 2.98, a whip of 1.18, and having 141 strikeouts in 142 innings pitched. What a season for Tanner Bybee. What do you think, John, in terms of the rookie pitchers, who would you say moving forward is the go-to guy. Would you say out of these three guys, Tanner, Bobby, Yuri Perez, and Bobby Miller, if you've had to rank those three for next season cool. that
1: is I think if I'm saying next season, I really like what Bobby Miller has shown. Yeah. I think out of the three, Yuri Perez probably ends up as the best pitcher, but okay. I think there's still some development in his game cuz, you know, he's he's still only what, 20 years old, I think. Yeah, really young. Um, so yeah, so he's he still has a long way to go in terms of um maturing and and, you know getting to his you know final form so to speak um i think bobby's just been incredibly steady this entire season and he's also on a team of those three that is more likely to get a wins right right the marlins are the marlins are coming up like they they look good this year they have a a winning record it looks like the team the front office is actually like making the right moves um so they could become a force in you know in a couple years um, and Tanner Bybee, obviously he doesn't have the best stuff. That that's Yuri Perez, but he has really good stuff. And I think, you know, in, in terms of the Cle- this Cleveland team, like they're real, they're they're going to continue developing him. Obviously, that's what they're good at. Um, and he's going to be, a re- I think he's going to be a really good pitcher for you know the next five years. But I think if I'm drafting a guy next year, I think I still ultimately will go with Bobby. Uh, just because he has the advantage of wins, while also providing you know a similar um, uh, similar stats right with ERA, WHIP, and then strikeouts. So for you, if you had to rank
2: him, it would be Bobby, Yuri, Tanner.
1: Yeah, that's probably where I'm at uh, right now. is just so electric that it's hard to like. Yeah, put him third on that list. You know, like even even if Bobby ends up probably getting Bobby, I wouldn't be surprised if Bobby has better numbers next year. Right, but Yuri is just. He could give you like a random 12 strikeout game, you know, every three starts because he's just that good. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's tough because obviously out of workloads, Bybee worked himself to 142 innings pitched in the majors. So Mm -hmm. that's really big. And I could see him going to 160, 180 next season. And that volume alone might make me want him more than the other guys. But mm-hmm. if we're talking ceiling, obviously it's Yuri Perez. And if we're talking about a guy that can really just be an SP2, possible SP1, Bobby Miller mm-hmm. is him. So yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's hard to rank, but with my draft style, I think Tanner Bobby's going to go way later in the draft anyway. But if I had to rank them just pure upside wise, I think I got to go Yuri, Bobby, Tanner. It's just so hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could coin flip Yuri and Bobby. I think Bobby's going to have more innings than Yuri next season. I think Tanner's going to have yeah. more innings than both of them. So they're all really good. They're yeah, all really like,
1: good. The main thing is that Cleveland is going to lean on Bybee a lot more than yes. the other two teams are going to lean on their guys because, and I mean, it's, it is kind of weird with the whole Dodger situation right now with their pitching staff with, you know, who knows if who, who the Arias is ever going to pitch in the majors again. Right. Um, they won't, but they do get Walker Bueller back next year Yep. and the Dodgers you yep. know the Dodgers, they're going to probably find someone in, in free agency. It's a, kind of take a spot and so bobby is looking to be what maybe the number four number five guy in la and he could easily be sent down if they're like yeah we think you need a little bit more you know seasoning or things like that i don't think they necessarily will but he he hasn't exactly had a ton of experience in the majors either so um or just in professional baseball in general so i i wouldn't be surprised if you know they decide, hey, we think you need a, a few more games in AAA, and they send him down. And you know right. that's where Tanner Bybee gets the edge of like, being a consistent guy on the major league team throughout yeah. the
2: entire season. And what's crazy too is the Dodgers are kind of loaded at pitching, like low key Ryan Pepio, Emmett Sheehan. Like they have a lot yeah. of people. they have Shelby Miller, who's like a long reliever right now. So they have a lot of guys for that rotation. And obviously mm-hmm. Clayton Kershaw, we don't know what he's going to do. If he's going to be a Dodger or what's going to happen there. Julio Urias, like you said, a bunch of question marks. So the staff is going to be interesting, but I think Bobby Miller is going to be a main focal point of that staff with Walker Bueller. So yeah, without a doubt, I think all three of those guys are impressive and it's going to be exciting to watch them next season and see where they go in the draft. And then speaking of guardians on a positive note, obviously they lost 10 or by for the rest of the season, but Shane Bieber of the Guardians will be activated from the 60-day IL and start Friday's game against the Orioles. He will be limited to only 80 pitches, but it's nice to see Bieber off of the IL and back on the mound. Bieber has been out with right elbow inflammation and is an upcoming free agent. So, John, before we move on, any last remarks on these notes?
1: Uh, just make sure you're up to date on who's injured on your team and be able to you know, pivot as, as soon as possible um yeah it just sucks to you know for example a guy like salvi right it's hard to replace a catcher like him but you know as soon as he goes on gets on il you gotta be have you gotta have a backup plan for how you're gonna replace him and so yeah that's kind of the reality of playoffs is um things just matter more i guess but there's also more availability on the waiver wire and it's okay to pick up a guy for like a a stream because uh Who cares? It's (laughs) the the season's going to end next week.
2: Right? Yeah, no, without a doubt. And what's crazy too, is that there's only nine, 10 games left by the time you're listening to this podcast. And it's a race for a lot of these teams. I mean, the Mariners, the Rangers, the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, they're all in this heated race for the playoffs. So for Roto Leagues, there's a lot to be done. So if you are still in it make sure you're paying attention make sure you're replacing your injured guys obviously the replacements are probably thin and the injuries hurt not as much as they did a few weeks ago but just make sure your team is ready and you're putting the best product on the field and then also before we move on as we're recording this I just got news that the Rays are calling up top prospect junior Caminero so that's an interesting call up because he is 20 years old and between high a and double a he was batting 324, 384, 591 with 31 homers and 94 RBIs. So he might be someone that you keep an eye on and maybe pick up in those keeper leagues and dynasty leagues if he's not already owned, which I'm sure he is. But in a redraft league, hey, maybe you grab him if you need a shortstop or third baseman. Junior Camanero just got called up by the Rays. But that wraps up the news from this week. Before we move on to the weekly performance recap, we are going to take a quick break. So stay tuned.
0: to sign up for your trial today.
2: All right, we are back and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the pitcher list website. The Hitter Recap and SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. But, John, let us know who did well from this weekend.
1: Yeah, uh shout out to Ryan Amore, Kevin O'Brien, and Bet forward for their hitter recap articles over the weekend. Starting on Friday, Luis Arrives of the Miami Marlins, two for five with two homers, two runs, and two RBIs. Uh, yeah, that's uh, obviously not a line that you see from a rise that often. Um he uh he was facing Bryce Elder in the in Atlanta and uh, took Bryce Elder for a little ride uh with a homer 363 feet to right field in his first at bat, and then in his uh second his second homer came off Pierce Johnson uh, in the seventh inning um, also 363 feet ironically so um, yeah you're not going to see this this kind of power output out of Arias like ever that was only his uh, eighth and ninth homers of the season and he currently has 10 on the season right now so um, that's actually a career high for Arias so yeah clearly not really um, a power bat but you know what he lacks in power he makes up in basically being able to put the ball in play anywhere on the field Um, and that's obviously leading to him sewing up the NL batting title I believe he's like 15 points ahead of uh, Ronald Acuna in that race right now so he's clearly going to win that I don't think there's any question that Acuna can can catch up to him there Um, and then other you know in in terms of fantasy prospects like obviously he's going to help you in the average but he has a career high 69 RBI as well so he's not like a complete nothing burger when it comes to counting stats um and yeah i, I was just looking at um pitcherless's top 10 list that we've been doing throughout the month of september and, and rise was listed as the second best second baseman i don't know if i completely agree with that i think that there's maybe a couple other guys who contribute more in other categories and are more well-rounded than Arise. but he's clearly having a a great season this year and um you have to Give him props for how much he's helped this Miami team kind of stay afloat um, with their lack of offense. And now they're challenging for a playoff spot, which is cool to see. Uh, Gunnar Henderson of the Baltimore Orioles. Um, they're also in a tight race for the AL East crown. He went three for five of the homer, two runs, and three RBI on Saturday. Um, yeah, this was an 8-0 win over the Rays, so really important for them and being able to maintain their AL East lead i guess you could say you know being first at least in that division um gutter henderson i think most people are penciling him in as the al rookie of the year award obviously josh jung is, is another front runner in that that competition but um it's kind of been a quiet season for henderson i mean he's made some pretty amazing throws um defensively speaking but i think a lot of his offense is kind of hidden by the fact that, oh, hey, he's also on the same team as Adley Rushman and, like, this Orioles team in, in, as a whole was doing really well. Um, they also just called up Heston Kirstad, who's, like, one of their top rookies as well. Um, so, yeah, Gunnar Henderson may be a little overshadowed on his own team, but, yeah, he's having a heck of a year. Hitting 260 with an 828 OPS, he has 27 homers on the season. So, yeah, just a great, great overall season from him. And, I mean, we've, we've talked at Nazim about, about how, you know, he was pretty garbage over the first 50 games, but he's really turned it around and helped um, this Orioles team to, you know, potentially their first AL East uh, title in a, in a, in a bit for, for the fans of Baltimore. And then finally wrapping up on Sunday, Jake Berger, who we mentioned a little bit earlier in the news and notes, he went 2 for 5 with a double homer, a run, 3 RBI, and a walk. Uh, also against Atlanta. And yeah, he uh he's been doing really well really really well this season. 33 homers total. Um since being traded to the Wildlands from the White Sox. Um maybe it's getting out of that dysfunctional clubhouse, but he's been doing really well in in Miami providing some offense for them. Uh nine, uh, sorry, eight homers um with Miami. He's batting 308 and he has 24 RBI. So, you know, for a team that basically struggled at getting runs, he's been invaluable for Miami to kind of get that offense going and yeah they're currently half a game i believe behind the cubs for the the final and a wild card spot so they're still very much in the mix of it and they're going to need guys like a and Berger to um be at their best in order to uh hopefully get earn a playoff berth uh, for the first time in a while
2: it's really crazy that luis oraya's in the beginning of the season we were like oh he's gonna hit 400 he could hit 400 and obviously that's come down a bit but He is such a good batting average contributor. He's obviously the best in the game for batting average. Mm -hmm. But for fantasy, it's just so weird because he's literally a two-category player. He's batting average and runs. RBI Mm -hmm. are non-existent. Stolen bases rarely happen. Homers, he's got 10, which, like you said, is a career high, which is just kind of insane. So for fantasy purposes, it stinks that Luis Arias isn't a great option. I mean, he's really good in points leagues and stuff like that but it's so hard to just have him rostered on your team because he's such a drought in all the other categories. So unless you need a big boon to batting average, Arias is not the guy you need, but it is impressive to see what he's doing. And it's awesome to see someone who just makes good contact and gets hits because you don't see that too often in this game. So it's cool to see that he has over 200 hits this season already, and he's still trucking. And like you said, with the Marlins, Jake Berger's also playing fantastic. Ever since he was acquired by the White Sox, he went from batting like 220 to 300. So whatever they did there, whether it's just more consistent playing time or just getting the heck out of Chicago with the White Sox. I mean, I don't know what it was, but Berger seems to be in a good place. And he's a great fit in Miami. I mean, him and Josh Bell, just phenomenal. They've been doing really, really well as Miami Marlins. And then Gunnar Henderson, like you said, we were talking about i don't know a month and a half two months ago where he was a droppable player and now he's helping them lead to a potential al east title so really cool to see Gunnar henderson get back on track because you never want to see these rookie guys come up on the scene be incredible and then just fall off a cliff so really cool Mm -hmm. that Gunnar henderson turned his season around
1: yeah and um He's going to have to enjoy some postseason play, too, which is going to be exciting for him. Yeah, really
2: exciting. The Orioles are an exciting team to root for right now.
1: Yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. Uh, moving on to pitchers then, talking about another former White Sox uh, player, Lucas Giolito, who is currently on the Guardians, uh, was up against Texas, and naturally against one of the better offenses in the majors. He went seven innings with zero earned runs, two hits, one walk, and 12 strikeouts. Um, yeah, he... Is for some reason found the mojo and, and uh, yeah, kind of wrecked, <laughs> wrecked the Rangers, which is cool. Um, He currently has Cincinnati left on his schedule. I think he played Kansas city, he pitched against Kansas city today.
2: His start was on Wednesday and Wednesday. That's right. He went 5.1 with three earned runs and a good I amount mean, of strikeouts. So
1: yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So not like the best start you want to see against a team like Kansas city, but you know, at least it wasn't like a he gave up seven runs right yeah yeah. uh but yeah he has cincinnati left on the schedule so yeah it's it's worth holding on to him for another week or maybe seeing if someone had rage dropped giolito in your league and maybe pick him up for that start um fastball is down in velocity so you don't love that but you know end of the season fatigue sets in he was still good enough to generate 12 strikeouts against texas so pretty solid there uh on Saturday, Sawyer Gibson Long of the Detroit Tigers went five innings with one in and run, two hits, three walks, and 11 strikeouts. Um, it feels like Gibson Long is, like, the hottest name among, like, like prospect pitcher guys a little bit right now. Um, obviously, there's been a ton of great rookie pitchers. We just, you know, spent a long time talking about three of the top uh, top rookies. But, yeah, Gibson Long, I guess, got, got a lot of hype with him. Obviously, pitching a game with 11 strikeouts helps out a ton. Um he had a 45% CSW on the night, and I think only one of his four pitches was below that 45% mark. Everything else was, like, ridiculously high. He was getting whiffs galore um, against uh, the Angels, which, of course, I mean, essentially, they're not even a quad-A team. They're pretty much a triple-A team at this point. Um, so not that difficult, but um, still pretty impressive from Gibson Long. And he finally he finishes the season um, facing Oakland and Kansas City. So... Uh, just a really solid streamer if you need some, need a guy to plug in. Um he should be available in your league still. Um his numbers I think were just mid-20s and Yahoo and then you know below 10% on ESPN. So yeah, he should be available. And then moving on to Sunday, callers for Don of the Yankees, 6.2 innings, 3 and in runs, 6 hits, no walks, and 10 strikeouts. It's probably a little bit of too little, too late for Rodon. Obviously, he came back a little bit uh, he came back and then got injured again, but you know, and then finally is back now. Uh, had a really great previous start to this start, and then this one was pretty solid as well. Um, he has Arizona and Kansas City to finish out the season, so you know both of those matchups should work in his favor. Um, I think the real question is how does he finish out the season, and how does that translate ultimately to next year success? Um, I think there will be a little bit discount for him in uh, fantasy drafts just because you know the, the injury risk is always going to be there for Odon, but he might be a really a guy to pick up in that kind of sp3 sp4 range in drafts and end up pitching like a sp2 you know that that's definitely the possibility here with rodon and we'll see how these these final few starts go this season and you know hopefully there's there's no other lingering health issues for rodon and he can come back next year as you know a cy young caliber pitcher
2: yeah with rodon exactly what you said i think he's going to be a great value going into drafts next season i think that He's going to go somewhere in the 8 to 12 round range, depending on what kind of league size you're in. So mm-hmm. I could see him going in like 10 to 12 team leagues, going in like the 10 to 12 range round wise. And I could see him in like 14 team, 15 team leagues going in the 8th round, somewhere around there. So I think he'll be mainly drafted on name value and hopeful upside but he's someone you have to be super cautious with because of that injury history of course so Mm -hmm. he's a big risk high reward kind of guy so if you're in the market for that kind of pitcher I would gamble on him for where he's probably going to go in drafts if he's going in the first six rounds just based off name value alone then I'm good I don't want any piece of him but in those later rounds that's where I would look to snatch up Carlos Rodon and yet Sawyer Gibson long Kind of came out of nowhere. Looks kind of like Logan Webb, according to Nick. And he's pretty much right. I mean, he did a whole pitch breakdown of Sawyer Gibson Long from his MLB debut on YouTube. So go and check that out on the Pitcher List YouTube page. But Sawyer Gibson Long looks really good. He's a taller guy that throws a really, really nasty changeup. And Mm -hmm. he used it to his advantage against the Angels. I mean, 11 Ks and 23 whiffs. I mean... Those are serious numbers for five innings pitched. So Sawyer Gibson Long looks really good. He starts against the A's on Friday. So by the time you're listening to this, he already started against the A's. I'm kind of torn if I should stream in my home league. And basically because I only have one pickup left and I might want to hold that till Sunday just in case I don't need to stream someone and maybe I want to do something else with it. But man, it's tempting to grab Sawyer Gibson Long because the A's are bad and he's been good. So... I'm very tempted, and that might be foreshadowing as well for a future bit of advice. And then Lucas Giolito, yeah, like you said, he pitched against the Royals and didn't have the greatest result, but didn't get shelled, so that's always good, and he had a great start in Texas with 12 strikeouts. The start before that had a lot of strikeouts, it was pretty good, so Giolito seems to have found his footing a little bit, but as I mentioned before, he's going through a lot this season. Three different teams, a divorce, so much going on in his head that pitching is kind of hard to do when you're under that much stress so give giolito a little bit of a break i'll be excited to draft him next season moving on to monday september 18th from the daily hitting recap article by andrew abramo we start with jd martinez of the dodgers who went three for five with two home runs two runs and five rbi jd has had a fantastic season and quite the bounce back in the power department In 139 games last season, Martinez only hit 16 home runs for the Red Sox, which is what led him to sign a one-year deal with the Dodgers, and man has he came back to life in his age 36 season. For the year, J.D. has a 268-323-561 slash line with 29 homers, 92 RBI, and 56 runs. He's also near the top 5 percentile in hard hit percentage, barrel percentage, average exit velocity, and X slug. He also hit his 30th home run of the season on Thursday, so really cool to see that he hit 30 home runs again, and he's probably going to sign a new contract in the 2024 season because someone will want that production at DH, and I'm not sure if it's going to be with the Dodgers because, like I said, if they are opening the door for Otani, Otani has to DH, and then there would be no room for JD, but... J.D.'s going to get a job somewhere, and he might be worth drafting late in your drafts. I feel like J.D. Martinez is the now Nelson Cruz for fantasy, where towards the end of Nelson Cruz's career, he was a bank for 30 to 40 homers, even though he was like 112 years old. So I feel like he's going to go in the similar range of where Nelson Cruz used to go, in that 8, 9, 10 round range, maybe a little higher, because 30 homers and 100 RBI is... Nothing to scoff at, so I could see J.D. Martinez having another good season next year, but once again, we saw the power fall off of a cliff. It could happen very abruptly and fast again, so we don't know about that, but J.D. Martinez, heck of a year. And then we have Kyle Schwarber of the Phillies, who went one for four with a home run, a run, two RBI, and a walk. Schwarber's homer in this game went 483 feet. It was over the chop house in Atlanta and had Ryan Howard, who was in the stands watching that night, saying, wow, because it was just a moonshot. Schwarber has had quite possibly the weirdest season, kind of Joey Gallo-esque. His slash line is 197. Yes, I said that right. A 197 batting average, 345 OBP and 475 slug with 45 home runs, 99 RBI, 103 runs, and here's the kicker, John, 204 strikeouts, and 46 singles. He has 109 hits this season, with 45 homers, 46 singles, 17 doubles, and one triple. Just a weird season overall, but Schwarber has done the one thing that you want him to do, hit home runs.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at those numbers, he is... Depending on if you're an OVP league, he's a four category guy. Right. If you're an average league, then he's a a three category guy. And <laughs> yep. honestly, a, such a minus in batting average that it's it it's almost like two and a half because of how much he you drags your batting average. Yeah. Down. Yeah. Um uh, but yeah, I mean I, I picked up Schwarber in one of my leagues this year because it was an OVP league and I was like, I don't he's not gonna be that bad in an OVP. And um yeah, it's it's kind of impressive how bad his batting average is. Uh, but it doesn't matter because he hits homers, he gets RBIs, he gets runs. So uh, I just wish that maybe the Phillies wouldn't have him still bat leadoff. But <laughs> the Phillies are going to Philly, and I, you know, I, I've argued countless times in my head with other managers. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, why are you batting this guy? You know, six or why are you batting this guy first? It's like, uh oh, whatever. You know, I'll it is what it is and uh yeah schwarber is again raking this season and i think he should be just as valued as he was this season uh in next year's drafts
2: yeah like you said with schwarber why is he batting leadoff? the guy's batting 197 and i guess mainly you look at it in his obp is 345 which is very good it's a very good yeah. obp he's getting on base but it's so weird to see a 197 batting average guy be your leadoff hitter, and that leadoff hitter has 45 home runs. So, really yeah. strange. I think if he was batting second, third, or fourth, he would have like 130 RBI. Yeah, I know. I was like, kind of annoyed
1: by it. <laughs>
2: yeah, that stinks. I mean, in an average league, it's really hard to rate Kyle Schwarber, but in an OBP league, in points leagues, he is a stud. I mean, he's oh. a guy that you want on your team with 45 homers, 100 RBI, 100 runs. 350 OBP? I mean, he's a stud, but yeah, very strange that the Phillies keep batting him leadoff. I mean, you do have Trey Turner there if you don't remember.
1: And it's annoying because at, once he gets on base, it's not like Schwarber's like a threat to steal. Right, so it's the, right. Why do you have a relatively slow dude who hits a lot of homers batting leadoff? Um, relatively slow is an undersell too. I mean, he <laughs> is not fast <laughs> at all. Yeah, well, I mean if if, if Trey Turner can kind of get his actor out, I I think it just makes too much sense for him to bat leadoff for the Phillies next year, which means that Kyle Schwarber will again be your leadoff header for the 2024 season.
2: <laughs> I mean, I would love the lineup of it being Trey Turner, Kyle yep. Schwarber, Nick Castellanos or JT Realmuto, Bryce Harper, then the other one, JT Realmuto or Nick Castellanos, Bryson mm-hmm. Stott, Alec Boehm, or Reese Hoskins. Like their lineup is really good when fully healthy, but yep. just swap Schwarber and Turner. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it, it like Turner's an OVP monster. Like it's
2: like, and a threat for steals. Like I just don't get yeah. so, why oh, they man. wouldn't change that, but whatever Phillies you do, you moving on to pitchers from Monday. We have the SP roundup article Connor roll by Nick Pollock. We start with Mike Clevenger of the white Sox, who went nine innings pitched one earned run, six hits, no walks and seven strikeouts against the nationals slam dunk I'm going to give myself a big victory lap here because I recommended him to all of you as a streamer recommendation last week for a two-star pitcher so for anyone who listened to me I'm happy that he came through for you I also listened to my own advice and streamed him in my championship match in my home league so I'm thrilled he has his second start of the week against the Red Sox in Fenway and it comes on Sunday also the weather might be a little bit dicey so keep an eye on that So you should be able to gauge if you'll need to use him on that Sunday start or not. But I'll be confidently rolling him out there if I need his start, despite the tougher matchup. Clevenger's just been really, really good. This could have been a complete game shutout as well. But with, I believe, two outs in the ninth, he gave up a home run to Dominic Smith. But Clev was balling. Clev was pitching so well. And I am confident in him in the Red Sox. Sure, that could blow up in your face at any point in time. But Clev has been really good recently. So I like Clevenger for the next start, and hopefully he brings this all home a championship. Next, we have Jordan Montgomery of the Rangers, who had seven innings pitched, one earned run, five hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts against the Red Sox. A golden goal for Joe Mont, 21 whiffs and 42% CSW for the day. Just impressive. I mean, that's a really, really great start from Jordan Montgomery, who's taking over for Max Scherzer, who's on the IL. So good job, Joe Mont. His curveball dominated in this one, which led to this level of success. Next, we have Freddy Peralta of the Brewers, who went six innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, no walks, and six strikeouts against the Cardinals. President of the Freddy Peralta and John Gray fan club here. And I'm pleased to say at least one of those fan clubs is flourishing right now, and it isn't John Gray. So, Freddy Peralta, you've had a great season. He's been incredible all year. He obviously started off really, really slow, had a tough stretch, But he's really rebounded he looks like the guy that i was excited about two years ago the year before that i love freddie peralta and i'm glad to see him back on track and then lastly huge shout out to adam wainwright of the cardinals who went seven innings pitched no earned runs four hits two walks and three strikeouts against the brewers this start is significant because he got his 200th career win congratulations Waino. he can now retire peacefully in a Cardinals uniform, spending his whole career with the Cardinals, getting all 200 wins with the Cardinals. So beautiful thing. I watched that whole start and it was so cool to see. So congratulations to you, Adam Wainwright.
1: Yeah, it would have sucked if um, he didn't actually hit
2: 200. Oh, 100%. That would have been such a sad way to end the season where he had not 200 wins. He retires on like 199. It would be so bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, like he's been on 199 for... What, about a month i think right yeah, he was like, on
2: 198 for like two months then he finally got one and then i think like three weeks later he got his 200th
1: yeah so yeah it's been a it's been a tough ride for way now um but yeah talking about some of the other guys um obviously jordan montgomery i think the problem i've had with him is that like he's he's really solid but he's not an ace um, yeah. But, you know, it's nice to see numbers like this where he goes, you know, eight strikeouts, 21 waves, 42% CSW. Just great numbers overall what you love to see. But, yeah, that just isn't Jarmont's game, unfortunately. And then, uh, yeah, with Clev, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how, how he does next year um, just because it's been a weird year for, for him. Um, and if he is, you know, more consistent, you know, how how good can he get? Um, next year. And I think I believe he's a free agent um after this season. So, you know, the team context might also matter for, for, for Clev, but yeah, I think he's he's proven that he's at least you know, at least a really solid pitcher that you can rely on. And um that's that's a guy who will work as an SP three, SP four in, in most fantasy teams.
2: When he was on the Guardians, he was a great pitcher and a lot of people forget about that. Like he was a really, really good pitcher. He had a great season one of those years. I am caliber. Yeah, yeah, he was an ace. And a lot of people let that slip their mind. And obviously, he had a little bit of a road to work through and get a little bit better, but it looks like he found his footing. And even though he's on the White Sox and the win chances aren't going to be great, next season, if he's on a better team, I really like Clevenger because I think he's going to go under the radar really cheap in drafts and I think he's going to give you good length that other guys around that range can't give you so yeah I'm big on Mike Clevenger I think he's going to end the season very well and I think that he's going to be a good value next year
1: yeah uh, moving on to Tuesday's games then thanks to Mark Stubinger for the daily hitting recap article we're starting with Austin Hayes of the Baltimore Orioles he went two for five with two homers two runs and four RBI Hayes is really having his best season In terms of ratios, he's slashing 281, 328, 458. So, you know, pretty decent numbers there for uh, your run-of-the-mill outfielder. Um, He's not at career highs for homers and RBIs, but he is getting close to those numbers. So I don't know if he's not necessarily going to surpass them in the next week. But, um, yeah, he's been playing really, really solidly. Um, His first homer came off Hunter Brown in the third inning. uh, And then the second one uh, was launched off the bat at 105 miles an hour and traveled 422 feet. Um, with this, you know, stellar season, he is uh, one of the top listed uh, fielders that we put in the in the top ten list for his position. So, um, yeah, he's been having a really good season this year. 117 percent WRC plus, 16 homers, um, and so yeah, just good numbers from Austin Hayes. Really solid, like outfielder two, outfielder three, sort of sort of guy. And um, I don't think he's necessarily going to shoot up in drafts next year because of this performance. But at least becomes a bit more trustworthy for you know, the the, the person, the manager that was picking him up in, in the 15th round or something like that. Uh, moving on to another outfielder, Luis Robert Jr. of the White Sox, three for four, a double a homer, two runs in RBI. Uh, Robert staying healthy is probably the only bright spot in this uh, White Sox season, just because of all the dysfunction that's happening there. He's actually been healthy. Uh, he started his 141st game yesterday, and that's the... the if you need another number to be kind of in, uh, amazed about that's, that's the first time in his career that he's had over a uh, hundred games played in a season, which I think is ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he kind of destroyed the, the a pitch from Jackson Rutledge for his 37th homer of the season, uh, hit another hard, uh, double in later in the game, which actually was the ninth hardest hit ball of the day, 113 miles an hour. Um, Right now, just looking at where he ranks in the American League, he's second in home runs, third, thirteenth in runs, twenty-first in RBI, and fifteen in steals. So, just a solid all-around dude. Um, you know, it kind of sucks that the team he's on is pretty terrible, which means he probably could have had more runs and more RBI. But at the same time, that's still pretty decent production on your own to to get that for yourself.
2: Yeah, of course, the one season where I have literally zero shares of Luis Robert is the season that he does this. It's just so upsetting. <laughs> I was so big on Luis robert in previous years and like you said he's never eclipsed 100 games played so he's been a bust every time i have shares of him so Mm -hmm. very unfortunate but it's really cool to see what his ceiling looks like when he's healthy and it's a really really good ceiling so Mm -hmm. that's good to know it's just all about health which is always scary and it's hard to project like a guy's not injury prone until he is so Is Luis Robert someone you draft confidently next season, knowing he was healthy this year? Is he someone you're hesitant on? I mean, there's so many question marks. I like Luis Robert a lot. I think he had a great season. If Shohei Otani didn't exist, maybe his name is in the ring for AL MVP. But overall, I just think Luis Robert's a really good fantasy player. He's going to give you over 30 homers, over 20 steals, good RBI and runs if the team is healthy and performing well, if Eloy, Tim Anderson are all living, functional baseball players. But, yeah, Luis Roberts is really good. And Austin Hayes, just an undervalued outfielder. One of those guys that Mm -hmm. you really don't focus on. But when you pick them up for a hot stretch or in a five outfielder league, they're kind of like your unsung hero because they don't weigh you down in any category. They're helping you in everything. So it's really cool to see outfield have a little bit of depth to it with guys like Austin Hayes.
1: Right. And I think he's definitely helped by team context, too. I mean, these Orioles, like, you know, they're having a lot of fun this season. They've got some... uh, uh, great guys. Like we mentioned, Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, um, who've just been, yeah, taking the the team by storm. And I think just being wrapped up in that atmosphere has been helping Austin Hayes as well.
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree.
1: Yeah. Uh, moving on to the SP roundup article, sand of valid uh, from Nick Pollock. We're going to start with Blake Snell of the San Diego Padres going up against Colorado, seven innings with no earned runs, no hits, four walks and 10 strikeouts uh yeah ace is gonna ace and uh potential Cy Young winners are gonna you know play like a Cy Young winner and uh yeah Blake Snell. it's kind of funny because he was like droppable like week like month two I yep. think you yep. know like in May and June this this was a guy that you know people were like yeah it's probably probably you know good to sell and yeah, now he he's the front runner for the NL Cy Young it, it almost feels inevitable I think um but yeah the walks suck he still has an incredibly high whip it's it's not fun um but he did what he did best in this one which was the blake snell blueprint uh you know fastballs up curveballs down he got 12 whiffs total on that curveball alone which obviously helps with those 10 strikeouts um yeah i think two more starts and it it seems like the cyung is his to lose so uh we'll we'll see how that goes for blake snell and then Kenta Maeda of my Minnesota Twins went up against Cincinnati. Five innings with no one runs, one hit, one walk, and eight strikeouts. All his pitchers looked solid, butter was good. Slider and curve were getting, you know, a bunch of strikes. Um, it's kind of interesting. Kenta Maeda actually this year, his slider specifically, has been getting a lot more called strikes than whiffs, which is kind of weird. Um, normally it's a whiff pitch, but he's been, I don't know, just maybe locating a little bit better to get some called strikes. But because of that, he's, yeah, he's getting a lot of strikeouts because all his pitches when they're on, uh, yeah, they kind of wreck face of the other team. Uh, he gets Oakland on Monday, which is a great start, obviously. Um, and so he still might be able to contribute to your fast team. I don't know if he's necessarily available, but, uh, you know, a guy like Maeda probably, probably someone might've dropped him and just, you know, he gets messed and in, thrown into the ether of, uh, Of available players in fantasy baseball you might be able to get that start to uh start off your championship week well yeah blake snell a crazy
2: stat is he might be the first pitcher in i think history or since like a ridiculously old year like 1900s that Mm -hmm. leads the league in era and walks (laughs) so that's really interesting but i mean blake snell has been dominant like you said In month two, he was a droppable pitcher. He had like a five-plus ERA. He was walking everybody. He wasn't doing anything good. He was not usable for fantasy, and people dropped him. And Man, in one league, someone dropped him, and I was going to pick him up, and I chose Hayden Wesneski to stream over him, and I regret it to this day. So, very unfortunate, but Blake Snell has been amazing. He's going to be the eighth, I believe I said last podcast, the eighth pitcher to win a Cy Young in both the AL and NL so Mm -hmm. really crazy joins a very exclusive list of pitchers that contains Max Scherzer and countless other guys so really really cool that Blake Snell is dominating and just looks to be that ace pitcher again and then Kenta Maeda actually has a two start week next week the first start is in Oakland so that's obviously incredible and you want to start him there the next one is on the weekend and it's at Coors Field so yeah it's a little sketchy but I still trust it because the Rockies aren't very good and if Maeda's stuff is on he can battle with the best of them I mean he had 8 K's in 5 innings no earned runs 1 walk 1 hit in this one I like Maeda a lot if you need a 2 star for next week and Maeda's out there definitely roll him out there at least for the Oakland start because he should be good but when that splitter and slider are on he's almost untouchable
1: right and I think the important thing is that he's doing it uh, with with called strikes not necessarily whips so. yes right um It kind of works out in his favor, actually, to be in Colorado as a guy who relies on, you know, called strikes rather than, than whiffs to generate a lot of strikeouts.
2: Yep, I agree with that. Moving on to Wednesday, September 20th from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton. We start with Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks. He went four for five with a home run, three runs, an RBI, and two stolen bases. He's been my favorite player to watch this season, and favorite player in general, because he reminds me of Ichiro, who is my favorite player of all time. A modern day Ichiro obviously with more power and less batting average, but he's just so fun to watch. I had tons of shares of Corbin for fantasy, Tried to get him wherever I could. I wanted to put a bet down at the beginning of the season that he'd win NL Rookie of the Year, but I couldn't do it through DraftKings, so I never did it. I had to find another platform that I can make bets like that on because I would have won a lot of money. I wanted to put like $150 on Carroll to win NL Rookie of the Year, and the odds probably were pretty good because Jordan Walker was getting a lot of hype at that time. So I am really sad about that, but instead I made a bet on him to lead the league in stolen bases. And if Acuna didn't do what he did, if Acuna just didn't exist, he might have actually done it. So Corbin Carroll has been amazing. Just an unbelievable rookie season so far. Who, with this game, officially is at 25 home runs and 50 stolen bases for the season. He's the first rookie to ever reach those numbers and the second rookie to have at least 25 homers and 40 stolen bases. The other one being Mike Trout, of course. So Corbin Carroll, incredible player in drafts next season, John. Where would you put Corbin Carroll? Because in my opinion, I think he's top
1: five. Ooh. Yeah, he feels like, uh, let's just say if this is a 12-teamer. Yeah. He's a guy I'm drafting between picks four and eight. Yes. Uh, yeah, I
2: feel good about that range for
1: sure. Yeah, like obviously I think Acuna goes before him. Obviously. I think Judge goes before That's a yeah. toss-up. I think
2: Julio will go before him. Yeah. I think Bobby Witt will go before him.
1: That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Bobby Witt's kind of an interesting player in this situation. Um, yeah. I, cause yeah, to me, Corbin Carroll just feels like he feels like I, I hesitate to call him top five, but it feels like that's kind of where, where at least like if you're drafting just based on ceiling, he's a top five, top five yeah. guy for sure. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to figure out who else would be, Go a right, healthy I mean,
2: otani would normally go before him
1: right but obviously that's not going to happen right Like a a, a healthy tatis maybe yeah, like that, in the same
2: range that's kind of a coin flip for me like would i rather more steals or more power output and honestly i yeah. think i'd probably lean carol over tatis mm,
1: yeah i mean there is there's kind of the aspect where like steals are kind of cheap again now right um so maybe it's not as big of an advantage, but when you get, you know, 50, that that that's uh, a lot more than a, than a guy that just goes 20, 30, you know? Um, yeah.
2: I think you can argue Mookie Betts maybe over Corbin Carroll. Yeah. But the steals aren't quite there for Mookie. I think, yeah, I think Corbin Carroll is top five. I mean, it depends on how high you're on Fernando Tatis and Mookie Betts. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I think Acuna, Julio... Bobby Witt and Corbin Carroll are like your top four just because they separate themselves so much in steals and they give you the power
1: that it's yeah. just almost a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I'm like trying to think of like other guys who've like kind of been in that spot. Like I, it's funny. We, we, we both haven't mentioned Joe Ram, but I don't, I don't know if Joe Ram's really a top five guy at this
2: point. No, I think um, he's a first rounder still, but I don't think he's yeah, a slam dunk first five right
1: and then like, like Trey
2: Turner last season was going in the top five obviously
1: but he yeah, fell but off a bit either. right <laughs> unless so, someone really believes
2: yeah I mean he turned his season around pretty heavily with that hot September but mm-hmm. I still think he's more of an end of the first beginning of the second round gamble guy yeah but like Bo Bichette fell out of contention for a first rounder a lot of mm-hmm. people like Vlad has falling out of contention like Freddie Freeman upped his value this year so Freddie Freeman could be a top five guy He's gotten 20-plus steals. I mean, pretty impressive from first base. So, yeah, it's a tough call, but I think Corbin Carroll is a top-five guy, hands down, especially because he's young, and if his power increases, imagine he's a 30-50 guy now or a Mm -hmm. 35-50 guy, 40-40 guy. I mean, his ceiling is pretty high. I mean, remember, the only other rookie to do what he's done is Mike Trout, and he went on to be Mike Trout. So, we'll see what Corbin Carroll does. I'm not going to call him Mike Trout, but he's looking really, really good. Next, we have Nick Castellanos of the Phillies, who went two for five with two home runs, two runs, and three RBI. It's been a great bounce-back season for Castellanos. The batting average and OBP are slightly higher than last season, but the true bounce-back, like J.D. Martinez, is in the power department. He went from a 3.89 slug last season to a 4.70 this season, which is more in line with his career norms, and he went from 13 home runs in 136 games last year to 27 in 149 this year. Castellanos is someone I root for because he has a great personality. He seems so down-to-earth and real. I loved what he said about Trey Turner when he was struggling. He's just a guy that's easy to root for, even though he's a Philly, and as a Mets fan, I can't really stand the Phillies, but... I like Nick Castellanos, the guy and the player. I'm happy that he's playing well this season. Next, we have Willie Castro of the Twins, who went two for four with a home run, two runs, an RBI and a steal. You know what Castro has been doing, obviously, since you're a Twins fan, John. But to anyone who isn't a Twins fan, Willie Castro has put up the most unknown and quietest 30 stolen base season. He's at 32 right now, along with nine home runs. And on Yahoo, he has every eligibility, second base, third, short and outfield. So if you need steals down the stretch, he's only 36% rostered. And with Correa and Lewis both out for now, Castro should get regular playing time. So you might want to look into Willie Castro. And then lastly, shout out to Mark Vientos of the Mets and Tyrone Taylor of the Brewers, who both hit two homers on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, uh, fun shout out to Willie Castro, who actually like led the team in OPS for a couple months, which was hilarious. Wow, yeah. Um, but yeah, Castro's been a really solid contributor on the Twins. Obviously, getting those 30 stolen bases is uh, is nice. But um, yeah, that defensive flexibility really helps out, especially in you know those five outfielder multi uh, infielder leagues. Um, he's he's so valuable in there because he can literally play every position and uh, and still provide you with like I'd say above average uh, contribution to your team especially with those 30 steals. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see uh, how he does down the stretch. Because like you mentioned, he's going to get very consistent play a time with both Correa and Royce out.
2: Yeah, if he can finish the year with 10 homers, 35 stolen bases, I mean, that's a really valuable fantasy asset. That's like peak Whit Merrifield almost. So, he <laughs> might be a... Nice contributor next season if he has everyday playing time for the twins, but Mm -hmm. we'll see on that because obviously Willie Castro's been more of a guy that's just like a fill-in guy or a extra bat on the bench kind of dude. So it's nice to see Castro kind of coming into his own with this performance this season. Moving on to pitchers from Wednesday from the SP Roundup article Green on the Other Side by Nick Pollock. Before I get into this, Wednesday was the most packed pitching day of the season, in my opinion. John and I have been covering pitching performances all year, and I don't think I've seen this many noteworthy pitching performances to talk about in a single day. Anyways, we start with Hunter Green of the Reds, who went seven innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, one walk, and 14 strikeouts against your Twins. I'm sorry, John, this has got to be a sore spot because Hunter Green dominated in this one. Green slider had a 54% CSW and a 22% swinging strike rate in this one as he dominated the Twins. Nick mentioned that his pitch separation wasn't nearly as good as in his previous starts, but it didn't matter since the movement on his pitches were incredible. It will be extremely interesting to see where Green goes in drafts next season because his ceiling is astronomical and this kind of rings a bell Obviously, as I mentioned at the start of the show where Green is getting us excited at the end of the year because he went on a ridiculous stretch like this last season where he had a great schedule. He had like five starts with a sub one ERA, a bunch of strikeouts. He looked dominant and he's doing the same thing to end this season. So obviously last season he was kind of going in the middle rounds in drafts just for the upside. I think mm-hmm. he's going to go a little bit higher this time around because Hunter Green's ceiling is ridiculous. I mean, he had a 45% CSW in this one for the day. Just insane.
1: Yeah. Do, do you see that as like kind of a round five, round six guy in a 12-teamer?
2: That's so tough. I think he's right on the fringe of that. I really need to see where other pitchers will be going because if he's right. going in the same range as Aaron Nola, I can get behind that. If he's going in the same range as, say, a... Tyler Glass now, which I don't think that's even close, but if he's going around there, I don't want to touch him. But it really depends on where he's going with proximity to other pitchers because I think he's worth the gamble in the 7th, 8th round. I don't think he's worth the gamble in the 5th, 6th round.
1: Yeah, and, and like you said, it, it also kind of depends on, it depends on how everyone <laughs> else shakes out, really. Yeah, uh,
2: like who's going around that range, really, and yeah. if there's someone more confident. Like, Would you rather grab Hunter Green in your draft next season, or would you rather Jordan Montgomery? Uh, probably Hunter Green
1: because of the upside.
2: Exactly. That's the same thing for me. And I feel like if you compare Hunter Green to someone like Tyler Glasnow, you obviously want Glasnow. Hunter Green or Christian Javier, it's pretty obvious you want Hunter Green at this very moment. So mm-hmm. it's kind of tough to see where he goes, but I think on the upside alone, in this kind of blah pitching status we have, where there's like eight guys that are really good but not, like, ace-ace levels like Peak de Gram, And then you mm-hmm. have, like, 25 guys that are all really good, but at any given time can give up 10 earned runs. It's just, <laughs> like, such a weird fluxation of pitching this season. It's really hard to monitor because there's no, like, ace-aces. I mean, obviously there's, like, Garrett Cole, and Luis Castillo, and Spencer Strider who have done amazing things. But just the separation between ace and, like, the 30th best pitcher mm-hmm. is not too far apart.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, Hunter Green had 14 strikeouts in this one.
2: Right. So, it's tough to tell, but I really like Hunter Green's upside, and I think he's going to be a strong play for next season. This start, obviously, was incredible. Next, we have Aaron Nola of the Phillies, who went six innings pitched, two earned runs, six hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts against the Braves. You know, it took every bit of faith that I had stored deep down in my bones to start Aaron Nola in my home league championship match against the Braves. And I can happily say that it paid off. The guy I drafted with my second round pick. Now, it's a Keeper League remember so the draft values are a bit wonky with who's in the player pool and whatnot. But my second round pick finally had a great start when it mattered most. And I thank Aaron Nola for that from the bottom of my heart because he was someone that I wanted to drop about four weeks ago. He was just unbearable. He had like an eight ERA in his last four starts. I can't believe I actually started him against the Braves, and it worked. So I can't believe it. Aaron Nola, thank you for being an ace for the one week. I literally needed you to be my ace, so thank you so much. Nola went more changeup and curveball-heavy instead of fastball-heavy in the start, and it really stifled the Braves. And another thing that Nick mentioned in that SP roundup article is that the Braves have kind of struggled against changeups. Christopher Sanchez did the same thing, was changeup-heavy, and struck out 10 Braves. So we'll see if that's something the Braves have to overcome in the playoffs. Because if they have a weakness to changeups, you probably should expose that. Because throwing fastballs to Matt Olson and Ozzy Albie's and Ronald Acuna Jr. and Austin Riley is not going to work. So if you could find that hole, probably take advantage of it. Now I'm going to go through these next guys pretty quickly because, like I said, this is an unbelievable day for pitching. But there was a pitching duel in Houston. It was the Astros versus the Orioles. Kyle Bradish of the Orioles went six innings pitched, zero earned runs, two hits, two walks, and nine strikeouts. He only threw five four-seam fastballs in the start and relied on the slider, sinker, and curveball. He's been fantastic all year, so Kyle Bradish, great job. Christian Javier went five innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, two walks, and 11 strikeouts. He had 20 whiffs for the day on this one, a gallows pull for Christian Javier, just his best start of the season. So another good time for that because it's the playoff time and Javier is coming through. Kevin Gosman and Michael King had another pitching duel with the Blue Jays and the Yankees, of course. Gosman of the Blue Jays went six innings pitched, no earned runs, three hits, three walks, and 10 strikeouts. Ace is going to ace in an important game against the Yankees. So shout out to Kevin Gosman, Michael King, which this is crazy. Seven innings pitched, one earned run, five hits, no walks, and 13 strikeouts for the Yankees. Just wow. King is throwing strikes with everything in his arsenal. The sinker, four-seamer, changeup, sweeper, everything. 40% CSW for the night, and he looks like the real deal. When he was a long reliever for the Yankees just last season... It seemed like he should have been a starter, and it's cool to see it come to fruition now because he looks really good, like Cole Reagan's level hype of really good. So Michael King, if he's still out there for any of you, take the chance on him for the final starts of the season because he is looking really good. Next, we have Reese Olsen of the Tigers, who went six innings pitched, one earned run, two hits, two walks, and five strikeouts against the Dodgers. He got a bit fortunate in this one. His sinker and four-seamer didn't earn a single whiff. His slider did the heavy lifting that was able to keep the Dodgers at bay, but still, a great start for Reese Olsen, who's had a few good starts in a row now. So, the Tigers have a sneaky good staff with Skubal, Olsen, Gibson Long, Eduardo Rodriguez. I mean, that's a pretty good staff, man, for not having a solidified ace. I mean... I like that. And then two really bad performances, and one of them hits a little too close to home because I streamed Aaron Savale and it blew up in my face, but Justin Steele of the Cubs and Aaron Savale of the Rays both had three innings pitched, six earn-run disasters against the Pirates and Angels, respectively. Steele had six strikeouts, though, in three innings, and Savale had seven, so at least there was a little bit of a bright side, but two clunkers for two pretty good pitchers, one that kind of knocked himself out of the Cy Young race in Justin Steele.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember, like, kind of with all the Scion conversations, like, crazy that Justin Steele was, like, in the number two position. But, yeah. Um, yeah, this this might dump his ERA far enough where he doesn't really warrant any consideration anymore.
2: Yeah, I think it's easily between Spencer Strider, Blake Snell, and maybe Zach Wheeler you can throw in the fray. Zach Allen kind of took himself out of contention with his last few starts. Justin Steele kind of took his self out of contention, but... I think Wheeler's just had a really solid overall season, but not Cy Young level. Spencer Strider, obviously the strikeout numbers and all the underlying metrics, all the sabermetric stuff, XERA and XFIP and all these other things. Spencer Strider's like leading everything. So if they go super sabermetric heavy, Spencer Strider could win, but I really think it's Blake Snell who's going to win because the overall numbers, everything, the ERA being low. I think Blake Snell is just your traditional Cy Young winner for this season.
1: Moving on to Thursday's games then um, We're going to start with The hitters Ozzy Albies of Atlanta four for six Two runs one homer and four RBI I I think I've this entire season I've struggled to figure out how to rate Ozzy Albies is he the best second Baseman is he a top three second baseman Uh, Last season obviously didn't Help it felt like he was maybe um, Drafted a little too High obviously had a really incredible 2021 season and that probably helped with the helium in 2022 and then uh it didn't pan out and then this year he he did kind of drop a little bit in drafts and that all being said he just crossed the 100 rbi mark he has hit 32 homers on the season those are numbers that re- resemble that 2021 season that you had that he had uh, his slash lines really solid as well um in our top 10 list of second baseman in 2023 for a pitcher list um Ozzy was at number three behind Arias and Semyon. And I think there's actually an argument that he's actually better than Semyon. Um, and part of it is like the homers. Yes, he doesn't have like the same steel numbers that um, he doesn't have the same steel numbers that Semyon might have, I believe. But uh, at the same time, uh, just really good season from Albies. And then Cassidy, I know we just mentioned him, but he eclipsed the 100 RBI mark with another homer on Thursday. So good for him. And then Miguel Andujar, which is the name I was never expecting to say on this podcast ever, <laughs> uh, went through or four with three RBI, and that's because he's pretty much spent this entire season at AAA with the Pittsburgh organization, but he finally got a September call-up, and he's been on fire. Four homers and 16 RBIs and 73 plate appearances. Just for, you know, small sample size fun, if you had extrapolated that to 600 plate appearances, that's a 30-homer 120 RBI pace. Now, that's clearly not Miguel Andujar. Uh, uh, quality of uh, production wherever you want to say like he's just never been that guy uh, but if you need someone that you could stream for a week uh, I think there's worse place to look than Miguel Andahar.
2: That's really funny. Yeah, literally the second to last podcast of the season mentioning Miguel Andujar was not on our bingo card for sure, but (laughs) Miguel Andujar has been really good. So yeah, if you do need someone in the deeper leagues, obviously NL only or deep 15, 16, 20 team leagues, Miguel Andujar is probably someone who can help you out on the standings for the final week if he's playing at this level. So yeah, Miguel Andujar, hey, good job. Keep playing well. And for the second base debate, I'm personally going to rank them next season, I think. I'm not official Mm -hmm. on it yet, but I think for second baseman, I'm going to rank it like this. There's a top three, in my opinion, and then it kind of just falls off a cliff, really. And I'm going to go Jose Altuve one, Ozzy Aldis two, Marcus Semien three. And the only reason Mm -hmm. is because, obviously, Altuve got hurt this season, but Altuve's been fantastic whenever he's been healthy this year. Right. Yep. The steals are coming back for Altuve as well, so If Altuve can go 35, 40, and 20 steals with 120 runs scored and 70, 80 RBI with a higher batting average and a higher OBP than both Semien and Albies, he's definitely my number one. Especially in that Astros lineup, he's my number one. Then it goes Albies just because of lineup context. If he's batting second right in between literally Acuna, the best fantasy player, and then Riley or Olsen... He is just mm-hmm. going to rack up counting stats. And then Semy right. is just the oldest of the group, and I believe in him, and I believe what he can do, but I'd rather the other two guys. And I believe in the Astros lineup, and I believe in the Braves lineup more than I do in the Rangers lineup because the Rangers lineup has a lot of holes. They've been great this season, but will they do it again next season? I'm not sure. The Braves right. and the Astros constantly do it. So in team context-wise, give me Altuve first, I'll be second, in third. But I think those are your three second baseman that you want to draft because the other guys are just not good they're not anywhere right. near the level of those three
1: right yeah i mean like arise for example we already discussed he's only a really a two category guy so yeah um yeah uh moving on to pitchers then we you know i just mentioned the NL Cy favorite while well, the al Cy favorite is garrett cole he went eight innings with two hits one earned run and nine strikeouts and as much as I want to personally root for Sonny Gray or Pablo Lopez to win the Cy Young this season, it really feels like it's been Garrett Cole's to lose for at least a couple months at this point. Even when you don't consider this gem of a start, Cole is first in the AL in terms of innings and ERA. And while he might not be you know, the best guy for strikeouts, he's, I believe, third uh, right now in, in total strikeouts in the AL. So, whoa, okay, that's not really that bad. Uh he still averages one in inning, which is good enough for, for pretty much all fantasy teams. Yes, he's had a couple blowups this season, but they haven't been as bad as other baseball players. And because of that, he still has a shockingly low um, ERA for a guy who it seemed like he had some troubles uh, early on in the season. So, um, yeah, Garrett Cole still dominating as usual. I fully expect him to win the AL Cy Young. Uh, a guy who's not going to be winning the NL Cy Young but uh, is having an okay season is Wade Miley of the Brewers he went 6 innings with 3 hits nowhere in runs and 7 strikeouts today uh, yeah leave it for Wade Miley to finally be hitting his stride as Milwaukee tries to solidify their grip atop the NL Central his season has been up and down he'll have some absolute gems uh, followed by a, a game where he you know, throws 5 innings with giving up 4 runs and it's just you know not great for the team um, but that all being said, he's only had one start this season where he's like actually blown up and given up an excessive number of runs. Other than that, like he's been pretty consistent, not necessarily always getting quality starts, but he's at least, you know, going five innings and, um, just not getting, uh, shellacked by the other team offensively. So, um, that's led him to put top 40 numbers in terms of ERA and whip, um, uh, which is pretty solid for Wade Miley. Um, he's not necessarily a guy that obviously you want to be having on your uh, fantasy roster but you know he's he's worth a stream or a look at if the matchup is good
2: yeah Garrett Cole is most likely going to win the first Cy Young of his career and rightfully so I mean he's been so good this season like you mentioned 192 innings pitched 208 strikeouts 2.81 ERA and a 1.05 whip I mean that's just incredible and I don't even think that counts the stats that he just had so yep. Really ridiculous. He's at 200 innings now with 217 strikeouts. I mean, fantastic. The strikeouts are a little bit down. He had 257 last season in 200 innings mm-hmm. pitched. So obviously that's down a bit. But a sub three ERA, a sub one WHIP, or right around a one WHIP in this climate, in the way the pitching has been this season, he is clearly the Cy Young winner. I mean, I'm very happy for him. That's really really cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard to give it to someone else, basically.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I completely agree. And one final note from Thursday. Ronald Acuna Jr. stole his 68th base in the game on Thursday. And that just leads me to mention that Ronald Acuna is currently at 39 homers, 68 stolen bases, with 140 runs scored and 100 RBI. This might be one of the best fantasy baseball seasons we have ever seen. I mean, he realistically could go 40-70. He needs one home run and two steals in the next nine to 10 games, which I'm sure he's going to press himself to do because 40-70 is just something that you never see. I mean, John, in your time of playing fantasy, has there ever been a season like this where you just remember was just so much better than every other player in fantasy? Like, I was playing when... Albert Pujols had 47 homers in 2009, scored 124 runs at 135 RBI, batted 327. Like, I remember that season. I remember Miguel Cabrera winning the Triple Crown one year in 2012, I believe. 44 homers, 139 RBI, 330 batting average. Obviously, Mike Trout that same year in his rookie year, 30 homers, 49 steals. Even Corbin Carroll right now, 25 homers, 50 steals. These are some of the best fantasy seasons ever, and Ronald Acuna's might be the best, unless you were playing when, like, Barry Bonds had 73 homers.
1: Right, yeah. I, I would say the... I mean, I wasn't playing fantasy, but the season that comes to mind that... It, it, it's not close because of the steals that Acuna right. has, but, yeah, Miggy's triple count season for sure... Yeah. Um, ...was just one for the ages, and um, that kind of dominance is, is being mirrored by Acuna here. He's just... You know, instead of necessarily the the steals, he uh, instead of necessarily um, providing all the power that Miggy had, and, and obviously we're not knocking Acuna's power at all. He's he's clearly uh, you know kicking the crap out of the ball. Um, he uh, he has the speed, which is insane. Like that, that's just the extra element that Miggy never had. So um, yeah, I think that it, it's got to be a top three season. Um, Yeah, Barry maybe hitting 73 is kind of ridiculous because that OBP that year was also nuts. Yep. Uh, But, uh, yeah, it's hard to argue that there has not been a better fantasy season than what Ronald Ronald Acuna Jr. is putting up right now.
2: Yeah, 40-70
1: with 140 runs scored, 100
2: RBI, a 416 OBP. He's batting over 300. I mean, come on, this is a ridiculous video game number fantasy season. Like, I don't think people have fully appreciated what Ronald Acuna Jr. has done this season because this is one that you'll look back on and be like, yeah, I played against him in fantasy and I survived. Like, I can't believe the season that he had because that's astronomical. And hey, just a real thing... You were slighting Miggy for never having speed in his game. He had a career high 9 steals in 2006. So watch your mouth with Miguel Cabrera, speed demon. He had 40 career steals in 21 years.
1: <laughs> it reminds me of um there was that play this year, right, where it was Rich Hill versus Miggy. Yeah, yep. And I think I think like Miggy hit a dribbler or something yep. and it was like a race between Rich Hill running from the mound to first base, and Miggy getting from a home plate the first, and I was just like, "Man, this is feels like a little bit like torture." A little bit.
2: Yeah, Miggy's worst. legs are a little bit heavier nowadays, and it's pretty crazy to think that Acuna this season has nearly doubled Miguel Cabrera's career stolen bases. He's gotten forty steals in his career, twenty-one years. Acuna has got nearly seventy steals this season, so. Yeah, pretty it's, remarkable it's but stupid. <laughs> yeah I had to mention Acuna because I mean it's just something that I think a lot of people don't realize or just don't fully appreciate because 40 mm. 70 man come on that's insane but now we'll take a quick break and when we come back we'll give you all some pitcher and hitter streamers for the week ahead we'll be back after this Okay, we are back, and it's time to send you off with some hitter and pitcher streamers. John, what pitcher streamers do you have for us to wrap this season up, really? There's no more recommendations after this week.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'd be two of the pitchers we already talked about. i um, going to just knock them off. Sawyer Gibson Long, Detroit. He's going up against Oakland. Um, yeah, that just seems too easy to uh, pick. Uh, but then he gets Kansas City next Thursday, so... Um, yeah, I think that's a that's definitely a guy that you should be targeting. Uh Wade Miley um is he just handled Sarah, uh St. Louis. That was today's start and uh, he gets them again next week. So, I think that should be pretty solid. St. Louis has nothing to play for and uh Milwaukee does. So, I think that's going to be another good start for for Wade. And then my other pick is uh Ken Waldichuk. Um he's facing off against Minnesota is a lefty, and the reason why that's big is because obviously Carlos Correa and Royce Lewis are um, righties, and so the Twins are going to be missing two of their, you know, primary sources of offense against lefty pitching, and so uh, if you're looking for kind of a risky uh, stream, I think Waldechuk is in line for that especially because Minnesota probably will have clinched the Central by then, and they're just going to have nothing to play for, and so they're not going to you know, necessarily spring out their best um, on offense, um, especially against a team like Oakland. Like they're just not going to care too much. So, um, I think that's a nice, sneaky opportunity for maybe a win or a, a solid game in terms of strikeouts uh, from Ken Waldichuk. There.
2: Yeah, I like all of these recommendations. Sawyer, Gibson, Long, obviously being my favorite. I mean, the matchups: Oakland and then Kansas City. You can't get more of a softball matchup list than that. So to end the season, I really like Sawyer Gibson Long. This is, though, kind of gives me the feels, which is also why I'm hesitant to stream Sawyer Gibson Long, even though Tariq Skubel, who we didn't mention, also torched it up on Thursday against the yeah. Athletics, going seven innings, no one in runs, 10 strikeouts. So I just feel like this is a trap because Sawyer Gibson Long's been great. And kind of like with Cutter Crawford in that two-start week we mentioned that one time, and I was like, this kind of feels like a trap, but obviously it's a good start, so just go for it. He stunk. And this kind of feels like a trap as well, but Sawyer Gibson-Long has been really good. If you need a start, there's really none better than a guy with a lot of upside against two horrible teams. So Sawyer Gibson-Long, easily my favorite. Wade Miley against the Cardinals again. The Cardinals look like they really don't care anymore. And obviously they've been eliminated from the postseason. But crazy stat, John, I don't know if you knew this, but I know this because I roster Nolan Arenado on one of my teams. Mm -hmm. He hasn't hit a home run since August 19th. That's a month and three days. Jesus, wow. He has not hit one home run in that time. So really not helpful for my fantasy teams. I'm yeah. not happy with you, Nolan. But they just really look like they're not playing with the same conviction you would see a team try to play with. So uh-huh. I really like the way Miley-Stream, he did really well on Thursday. And I think he can pitch really well again since they're running out people that just don't care or trying new people and yeah it's not good for the Cardinals but way Miley great stream there and Ken Waldechuk yeah just a good matchup. the twin strike out a lot if anything so at least mm-hmm. you can get some strikeouts from Ken Waldechuk and like you said their two primary right-handed power bats are out of the lineup so you might as well take advantage of that now for the hitter streamers I just have four names quickly mention them all first Ryan O'Hearn of the Orioles he's 35 percent rostered he has first base in outfield eligibility he hits right-handed pitching really well He's been batting cleanup for the orioles and they face mostly right-handed pitching from here on out at least the rest of this week they face right-handed pitching i'm personally crossing my fingers and hoping he doesn't play well this week because in my championship match my opponent just picked him up so i reluctantly recommend him because i think he's a good option but i just don't want him to perform good against me but if you need a bat that is batting in the middle of a great lineup ryan o'hearn is that mark Hanna of the brewers who i think is the real steal to grab here 46% 46% rostered, first base and outfield eligibility. All these roster ships are on Yahoo, by the way. In 16 games in September, Kana has a 373, 448 559 slash line with three home runs, 12 RBI, and four steals. That's a 1,007 OPS. Since Kana's been traded from the Mets to the Brewers, he has been really, really good. He's batting in the one hole, the three hole, and the four hole quite regularly. So I really like Mark Kana for the rest of the season. He's an on-base machine. His power's coming around right now. He's getting some steals. Mark Hanna is a sneaky, good hot bat to pick up for the rest of the season. Then we have Willie Castro, who I mentioned before. 36% roster on Yahoo. All the eligibility. Second, third, short, and outfield. If you need steals, that's your guy. He's probably the only guy on the wire who will give you that good of steal production. And then lastly, Mark Vientos of the Mets. He's the least roster of the bunch. 3% rostered. He only has third-base eligibility, but... He has sneaky power. He hit two home runs on Wednesday, another homer on Thursday. He's getting everyday playing time in the Mets lineup now since they traded everyone away. There's been injuries. So Vientos is playing every day and he's hitting homers pretty much every day right now. So if you need a sneaky power option, Mark Vientos is a good shout.
1: Yeah, I think of those guys, um, O'Hearn's been really solid this entire season yeah uh, but yeah that canna slash line is actually kind of insane i didn't realize he was doing that well with the brewers um mvp level production and the fourth steals is nice too that's not really necessarily always something you expect from in canna so cool to see there and i mean my my thoughts on Castro are well known i think he's a really good uh, steels guy and then yeah vientos i've been following him because he's on my dynasty team he kind of wasn't great earlier this season when he Not was at all. called up. And then just inconsistent, you know, playing time for Buck. Uh just classic Mets. Um, but yeah, if 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 he's, you know, feeling it, getting a hot streak, then um, yeah, that's definitely worth a pickup if if you need uh, that type of production.
2: Yeah, Mark Hanna's been really, really good for the Brewers. I mean 373 batting average in sixteen games. It's pretty hot. So I think Mark is the best of this bunch. I would say Canna then O'Hearn Then Vientos and Castro is mainly if you need power, Vientos. If you need steals, Willie Castro. So that's the list. Those are the streamer recommendations for the week and the last of the season because next week we're going to recap the end of the season pretty much. So there's no recommendations to give, just victory laps hopefully to take. Hopefully I have won my home league championship final. That would be great. I'll share the trophy with all of you on the final week if I do win. But that wraps up this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter or X at This Week PL. Also, send us your comments and questions to our email at This Week pod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter or X at Ka. That's T H E J O H N K E. You can follow myself on Twitter or X at Regicidal. That's R E G I C I D A L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please, once again, leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We will be back next week with the final episode of this week in fantasy baseball, talking about a whole lot of stuff. You won't want to miss it. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.